0: COVID 19
1: Weekly Digest,
0: a new podcast from News Talk. Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Digest here on News Talk. I'm Shane Beatty, and over the next hour, we'll look back at the week that was in the world of COVID 19. On Thursday morning, Professor Luke O'Neill spoke to Pat Kenny about the latest developments from the world of science in the battle against the virus. He started by giving his reaction to face masks now becoming mandatory on public transport.
2: It has. They're following other countries, aren't we now, I suppose. I mean, as you know, in the UK, they had that from, what's it, two weeks ago now, to make it mandatory on public transport. It makes perfect sense, let's face it. Uh, And they want to increase compliance, I guess, and sadly, as with many things, you've got to sort of say to people, there's a law now, and if you break it, you're going to be fined or whatever. I guess the question is how will they implement it, I suppose, is one issue. But uh, I think it's good, Pat, because to me at the moment, it's kind of preparing us for the autumn in a way, because, of course, our next thing to think about is if it comes back in the autumn, we'll need to wear masks for definite, then, you see, to protect us. So people like getting used to it so by, by seeing it on public transport. That will certainly help compliance as we go along.
1: Now, your own observation you do take public transport when you go into Trinity College. Have you seen any increase in the number of people wearing masks?
2: Oh, it's got better, perfect. I mean, I'm relieved. I've been mean, watching this the last three or four weeks, I guess, and it was pretty bad to begin with. But just this week, I've noticed an uptick, you know. Now, when I say an uptick, I'm still talking 20 30% max kind of thing, you know. But still, it's not just me on my own, which is the way it was for quite a while there. So it may be beginning to get through to people. And as we see, all the ads now are saying wear a mask. So it was all about that in the end, wasn't it? Just telling people to wear them and advise them. It's for the, for the, the good of the community.
1: And that uh, social distancing on uh, the dart, for example, which is what you take, um, are people being aware that they shouldn't be sitting on top of each other?
2: They are. Yeah, I mean, I notice that actually. when people get on, they look immediately to see where they can go to get away from others. So people are very aware of the risk of crowding, I've noticed, which is a good thing as well. And I mean, I guess as more and more people come on, though, and I guess the carriages are about a fifth full, maybe max now. uh, But as we open up even more, we're going to see more and more people and wearing a mask becomes essential.
1: All right. Well, well, we'll park that for the moment. We will talk a little bit more later on in the programme uh, about uh, masks. Um, your colleague, Professor Kingston Mills, on breakfast this morning remarked that it should have happened weeks ago, which, of course, you've been saying for as long as that, if not longer. Anyway, we want to talk about antibody levels in those who have contracted COVID-19 and how long they might persist and for how long they might offer protection
2: yeah it's a key question isn't it and in fact there's again some fantastic immunology happening so Immunologists now have loads of patients to study, clearly, you know, and people who are sick and they can monitor them and measure their blood for weeks and weeks after infection. And it's a bit mixed, Pat, sadly. So, a big study came out last week in a journal called like Nature Medicine, which is probably one of the world's best journals. They took 37 people who had no symptoms but were positive for the virus and 37 who had symptoms and were positive. Very good. So, the two groups they examined carefully and they measured their blood for weeks and weeks and measured antibodies in the blood. Uh, one thing they found, first of all, Pat, was if, if uh, the, um, the average time when you're shedding the virus is about 19 days. Isn't that incredible? So you're going to be releasing virus up to 19 days after infection. And that was even longer in the asymptomatic ones, by the way. They were releasing virus for longer. So we think now you can spread the virus for a little bit longer than we first thought was one was one outcome from this. But the second one was in most people, antibodies fell away. So in other words after you're infected your immune system is activated you begin to make the antibodies they clear the virus everything's going great the hope was those antibodies would persist for for weeks and weeks and weeks but the sad thing is in many people they fell right away and in fact um, on average 40% were negative in the asymptomatic group you see after about 2 months okay so in other words if you, very mild disease you won't pick up antibody in those people. Yeah. If it's stronger disease and it was more severe, mind you, and you and you got pretty sick, I suppose, they had more antibodies, and that makes sense because because obviously when you feel really sick, it means your immune system's kicking off very effectively. Some of the symptoms are being driven by your immune system. Remember, so the sicker you are, the more likely it is that you're having a strong response, and then the antibodies might persist a bit longer. So yeah. it's a really good sort of detailed study.
1: Now the question is uh, whether you have a weak response or a strong response. How long? those antibodies will offer protection for? I mean, if they're there, they've obviously fought the virus and won. uh, But then do they just sort of go out of business after
2: a while? Yeah, your body stops. It looks like your body stops making them or makes a lot less of them. You see, that's the first thing. Uh, The symptomatic ones, the ones who, you know, would have had quite strong symptoms, uh, 62% of them showed a drop in the neutralizing antibodies. They're the ones that really protect you. So a fair few had lost the antibodies after a month or two, you see, in that group. So it looks to me as if it's it's gonna be difficult. Well, what's especially important, Pat, is it's the level of antibodies very variable between people anyway. Some have loads, some have very little. It's very hard to sort of predict who might have a lot, unless the severity thing is one prediction, I guess. So it's not it's not a, a plus or minus thing in a the test. Then basically, you need very sensitive testing then to pick up the ones who a, a low amount of antibody as well. So so it's got consequences for antibody testing in general, I think.
1: Okay, now here's the big question. Why do people get such a mild dose? Because there is an argument that says the reason they get a mild dose is because their body is somehow genetically configured differently, so they're not as susceptible.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, one good thing is if you have a mild dose, it probably means your immune system's really good and it's eliminated the virus quite quickly. Not, not eliminated so strongly you have loads of antibodies, but still you've got rid of the virus. So that's quite a good thing. In other words, a mild disease is actually not a bad thing for no, lots no, of just reasons.
1: To, I'll stop you in the tracks there. Is that uh, because you, you have a great immune system or perhaps because you've got a very small viral load?
2: Yeah, it could be both. That's a trouble for you. There's a number of reasons. But let's take take an experiment where it's the same viral load and some do well and have a mild disease, some have severe disease. It's more than likely they've got a stronger immune system then. And of course, if you're younger, your immune system is better. And that's why the age is a risk factor. If you have a healthy lifestyle, that will make your immune system a bit more effective. So there's all these different things come into play. But most likely it's because you've got a good immune response you clear the virus and you don't even know you've had it. You know, the the symptoms are very mild, you see, and then you're fine, you know, so that's one reason. And then genetics is a big part of this because we're all different. You know, as I always say, the good analogy is we have different faces, haven't we? We have different immune systems as well. So some will have a slightly differently built immune system and they'll do a little bit better, I guess. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, The the worry there is that um, people who have this response, in other words, they are positive for COVID-19 or they display the antibodies if they get an antibody test, but they haven't suffered at all. And they would think, well, I'm kind of Superman or Superwoman. If this damn thing attacks me again, sure, I'll have the same response. I'm fine, thank you very much. Uh, It won't bother me.
2: The, the risk there is absolutely the risk there is you have a mild disease and you're fine, but you may spread it to someone who's more vulnerable and they have a severe disease. So that's why the advice at the moment is strangely, and it's not just me that said this like the other day, you've got to assume you're infected strangely, even though you've no symptoms. Yep. Imagine that's in your mind, and then you put your mask on, don't you? You know, and you're careful at this phase of the disease. Anyway, there's two good things about this, but as well, have come out that are more positive actually. There's another part of the immune system called T cells. Now they are equally important as antibodies. They haven't measured them in the patients. Maybe they're up and maybe they're persisting so that's one aspect that might be you know worth considering that you need a t-cell response that we'll move on to measuring t-cells next which are tricky to measure the second thing is it's good for the vaccine people because they know now you've got to give a good strong vaccine with a good What's called got an adjuvant that's part of the vaccine to really get the immune system going to try to increase chances of it working you know so these sort of studies are, are very informative for, for a number of reasons and, and i guess the, the main information that we need now is towards a vaccine <laughs>
1: Uh, one of the, the pointers, I suppose, to this result that you've just described is the um, the, the SARS virus. Um, I mean, did that produce a, a waning antibody activity?
2: That's a good question. This is really interesting, Pat. So there's seven viruses in the family, as I guess we all know by now, and, and COVID-2 is the latest addition. SARS and MERS were much more severe. And then the four that caused the common cold, you know. Now, if you have SARS or MERS, it goes deep into your lungs. It really makes you sick. It's hardly ever mild in people, actually. They get a big immune response, and and they can detect antibodies in those people for months. They can detect T cells in some of those people for years afterwards. So so if you have SARS or MERS, you probably are going to be protected against that one. If you have a common cold, you keep catching it because it's too mild, and you don't get a proper immune, you know, you don't get a big antibody response anyway. And maybe this one is in the middle, kind of. You know, in other words, those who have a mild version won't, have a persistent response. those of a stronger uh, a stronger attack of it may well have a persistent response. So I think, and I guess I, the other thing they're saying for is overall there's a little bit of antibody left. so you might have a milder disease next time, even if you catch it again, there's a, there's a reasonable chance it's a milder course than the first time. you know so the, these are interesting aspects that would emerge. And of course what's happening now is there's a second study happening that I just saw this morning, 22,000 people are being followed now in America after infection to measure all these things. and have a greatly you know, detailed picture of what the immune system has done in, in so many people once that study is published.
1: Now, uh, the flu season is still months away, but it will come as it does uh, every year. I mean, late autumn, early winter, right through to early spring. And we're all being told, look, you better get the flu vaccine because you don't want to get COVID-19 on top of the flu. Um, that would really uh, knock you for six. So the flu vaccine... Is there going yep. to be enough of it for everybody?
2: Well, well, this is a case of you know, uh, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. You see, that's that's the general principle in medicine anyway. You know, and our fear now is the autumn comes, we're back indoors again, and COVID might re-emerge. That's our first concern with this disease. But of course, flu season is now upon us, and that can be very severe. It can put huge pressure on any health service in Ireland as well. Sometimes it's very bad flu seasons; so lots of people end up in hospital. You know? So the question is, how do we prepare now? For the autumn and one suggestion is we should all be getting the flu vaccine because that would decrease the risk of flu in the population it'll decrease the risk of the hospitals being overwhelmed with flu and covid 19 simultaneously so and what struck me about this is countries are now buying up massive supplies of flu vaccine the uk for instance is doing a big deal with sanofi one of the big uh, flu vaccine manufacturers and say give us all you've got kind of or at least we want to buy lots of flu vaccine off you. And they're now considering, should we now start vaccinating people in the next month or two against flu? Because that, would, And we know the flu vaccine works reasonably well. It's a good protect, doesn't work in every case, but it's a good protector. Of course, at the moment, it's recommended for over 65s, um, pregnant women, women uh, people who've got a weakened immune system, they're, they're they're recommended to have the flu vaccine anyway. And they should certainly be getting it mm-hmm. for a kickoff. But the question now is, should we vaccinate more widely? So it's, I think it's kind of an interesting debate. And I'm sure the HSE are considering this because many health services around the world are now examining this.
1: All right, so let's hope they're getting their order in early because uh, vaccine production, uh, even when you know how to do it, it it does take time. It's not uh, something you just throw into a cauldron, mix it up and produce a few shots. That's right. Now, there's lots of questions coming in for you, Luke, but I'll I'll go on to the third area. Why the coronavirus loves churches?
2: This is a really important one, actually. And and many places, of course, as you know, churches are so important to so many people not just in Ireland all over the world and of course what the epidemiology has told us now churches were places where super spreading events happened um, and in South Korea can you believe it, about 50% of all cases came from a church assembly that was held there in the country it was incredible the reason is crowd the usual the three C's that I keep banging on about you know the, the crowds closed space, you know, uh, close contact, and then the fourth ingredient is shouting and singing is a risk factor. So so churches, sadly, were on the radar in terms of places that you can't really go to. Now, this isn't good because people really need to go back to their churches for all kinds of reasons. It's community, spirit, it's social, it's, all, it's spiritual, all those things are extremely important to so many people. So so now we have good guidelines, actually, about how to, it's a bit like the pubs, you know, how, how do you reopen a church, I suppose, you know, and it, it was done in America mainly, but there's very good guidelines now how to get the churches back, if you will, that the first advice is move outdoors. Now, of course, that mightn't be possible for many church gatherings, but, but if, if churches services could be outdoors, that would really help for all the usual reasons, you know. And then you've got the usual list of things. One thing that struck me was, Pat, it's, it's the, the priests or the, or the pastors have to be very careful because they're coming into contact with people and lots of people and often reasonably close and so on so there's kind of a special guidelines in terms of how how the, uh, the clergy or the priests might 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 you know look after themselves i suppose so it's interesting isn't it these guidelines are now coming to the fore
1: and if you're in the choir and you're bellowing out nearer my god to thee you may well be nearer yeah, your god than you true. want to be
2: well <laughs> your you know,
1: choirs had, infect each other
2: I've had, get this, and I'm now seen to be the, the voice, I suppose, of this. So the, I've had loads of emails. of choir people. I want to get my choir going again. Choirs are extremely important. Remember, not just in churches. I mean, it's a fantastic activity. Helps mental health, all kinds. of things. So, can you start choirs again? And it's very challenging. I mean, one advice is to wear a mask, but that's hardly good if you're in a choir, is it? You know, certainly maintain the two metres, go outdoors as a suggestion. There's even mask technology uh, in, in, in development, Pat, where you have a tiny microphone and a speaker to help people sing together, you know. But at the moment, the sad thing is singing is a dangerous thing. Certainly, if it goes on for long, it's it's a, the time is a big variable here as well, of course, remember. So so they don't think that, sadly, singing may have to be a thing that'll be, that we'll hold off on for a while. For a while.
1: okay. now, you mentioned churches and so on. You know, uh, Donald Trump gave his speech in that church in uh, Phoenix, Arizona the other night. But I don't know whether you saw what was happening outside. There were crowds and crowds of people. um, None of them, as far as I could see, were wearing masks. But they had one of those um, atomizer things. You know, I don't know whether you've ever seen them in Disney in Florida or whatever, where they have um, water vapor, well, water droplets, which are blown by a fan. Right. And uh, on, I think it was uh, NBC, they were just saying, my God, how can they do this? This is, you've got loads of people outside chatting away and this thing is blowing over them, carrying loads of droplets to which yep. one presume the uh, virus could lock on and yeah, saying this is know. just the petri, the petri dish for spreading the virus if it's in that crowd.
2: Yeah, well, well, there could be a positive, it's ventilation as well, is a good thing, I guess, you know, but certainly those kinds of things are, are risk factors for definite. I think the other thing I have to say about churches is there's a risk factor with things like prayer books, you know, and collection trays, because lots of people are touching it, you see. so. So the big advice is back in church, don't be passing things from person to person and don't be reusing things like prayer books or whatever it might be, because they could be things you touch, you know, so that's another bit of a warning. But that that other example, I mean, what was Trump doing anyway? I mean, the, the big worry there I've heard is that that would have been, those, those are going to be super spreading events, you see, because there would have been at least, what, 10, 20, 30 people who are heavily infected attending these things. And even if they're trying to use those sprays or whatever it might be, it may not mitigate, you know, so they're watching that really closely to see what the consequences. Of those gatherings
1: were? And the latest information is that uh, a number, not just two as in Tulsa, but a number of Secret Service agents have now been quarantined because they've tested positive for COVID 19. Um, now, the, the questions they're flooding in ask Luke, as he understands it. Now, the Cabinet hasn't issued their edict yet, but would it apply the wearing of masks to passengers in taxis and one hopes to taxi drivers too?
2: I think I might, yeah. In fact the taxi driver asked me that yesterday because that that technically is a type of transport, isn't it? So they may it's a public transport, yeah,
1: because they have a a public service vehicle license to drive a taxi. So I presume it would.
2: I I suspect (laughs) so, yep.
1: Um, Could you ask, Luke, are face visors as effective as face masks for general public wear and what would be the best way to clean them uh, as we can wash our masks in soapy hot water? You know, that that visor thing, it looks almost like a a, a Perspex welder's mask, but of course, it's completely transparent. Uh, Are they very effective?
2: That's a great question. In fact, literally, remember, as we said before, the science on this keeps not changing, but people are examining this more and more. And as we, we both discussed before, three months ago, the view on masks was different because the science wasn't quite as strong. And then it got stronger, obviously, and that's why the, the guidelines changed, I guess. Yeah, there's a big study on those. They're, they're quite effective, those visors. They're more comfortable, obviously, because they're not open, you know, you won't get your glasses fogging up or whatever. The only risk is you will be putting the stuff on the surface. And, and that, that, that perspex surface, the virus can live for longer on that. So they get mm. pretty dirty pretty quick. Whereas the cotton mask, they they might get a bit damp. We know, in fact, we know cotton is able to kill the virus. By the way, that was as we discussed last week. So, yeah. so one concern is there'll be loads of, shall we say, spit for a better word, on the inside of the mask, and you just got to be very careful how you handle them. You can take them off, make sure you give them a good wash because that would be a source, and you're to be touching it, which is the other risk factor here. But, but also, uh, course, I
1: mean, if you immersed it in um, soapy water in in the basin or in the sink, that would be fine, wouldn't perfect. it? The soap, soapy water yeah. will
2: kill it. Or any spray you use to clean your house would kill it precisely. The only risk is that the breath comes out the bottom more, obviously, you see. But it turns out not that much comes out, strangely. The the better mask is the cotton one that covers you up for definite. But those face masks are effective. You know, they're they're better than nothing for definite. Let's start with that. And then there is evidence that they can protect. So they're not a bad option.
1: Uh, Richie giving out he says I ordered face shields and masks and I had to pay VAT on them which he objects to and um, uh, someone else wants to ask Luke how are they getting on in Belarus with no lockdown that's uh, from Frank I think they're in trouble in
2: Belarus Good, don't know about that one good question very good I mean those are great questions to ask for because of course it is a, almost like a scientific experiment about who gets it right and who doesn't you see and as I've said before The massive consensus is lockdown is the thing to do. You know, know there are a couple of detractors against that, as ever. In science, people disagree with it. But the vast majority are saying lockdown was absolutely essential for the first phase of this disease.
1: Now, uh, this is uh, one right down your street. Please ask Professor Luke if I'm more at risk of getting COVID-19 as I have lupus, uh, stroke, rheumatoid arthritis and Graves disease. That's from Sarah.
2: Yeah, if if Sarah is on immunosuppressants, which I suspect she might be, because remember those those diseases are now somewhat much treatable with very powerful immunosuppressants we block the dreaded cytokines actually that are open cold but they can be blocked now and they help people with rheumatoid for instance then you got to be careful because that's suppressing your immune system and you're at a higher risk then you know if she isn't on any medication and she's pretty healthy generally and she seems to have a reasonable you know constitution then then there wouldn't be that much of a risk really if anything people with slight autoimmunity have a slightly stronger immune response so they can actually fight the thing. But often they're on heavy immunosuppressants. The diseases are so, so symptomatically challenging, they'd be on immunosuppressants. So she's got to be careful if she's on those drugs.
1: Be very careful. She would be high yep. risk. Uh, another Absolutely. one on high risk individuals. Should they try to get a supply of dexamethasone, which I think you told us is quite cheap,
2: Absolutely, but that's another great question. But literally again yesterday, two more studies have come out uh, supporting that dexamethasone study. Now, none of these are published, which is one of our concerns. We're, we're seeing, as we say, science by press release, but, uh, but even, but that caveat, three separate studies now are reporting that these steroids are working. There was a different one called prednisone, but it's in the same family. All three studies are now reporting saving people's lives on ventilators. One study part that was a 70% decrease in fatality on prednisone. On, on ventilators, which is fantastic if that's true. It's, it's small numbers, I guess. But but overall, we're all now thinking this is a great option, and I bet you they're going to start using it now as a, what's got a standard of care. If you're on a ventilator, in fact, I saw a thing this morning. If you put a patient on the ventilator, give them dexamethasone at the same time because of this, this remarkable protective effect. So, so it's really good and, and the great news is it's cheap as hell. I think a total course would cost 30 euro. Isn't that fantastic? So, so the drug companies won't be, you know, profiteering, if I can use a negative term. But, you know, so in other words, it's a cheap drug and it may well be extremely effective. So that, that, that's, in my opinion, Pat, that's the best development in terms of therapy we've seen so far. Because let's that, see the three studies, of course, going to see the data. But in fact, the three have reported it independently. That's a really good sign.
1: Uh, Now, another one. uh, Nobody mentioned the two vaccines going on trial in the UK. That was on BBC News last night. Well, we have been talking about those uh, vaccine trials, uh, phase three trials. And uh, as we mentioned before, Luke, you were saying that um, there aren't enough patients now or uh, potential patients in the UK to do an effective trial. They've got to go elsewhere. I think they're in South Africa with the Oxford one at the moment.
2: That's right. Well, there's good news. There. There's one. There's three now in phase three. So three separate vaccines are in the final phase of testing. Now, that's we're talking about 10,000 patients are needed for the final phase and three are running as we speak. We've got the famous Moderna at the head of it. Sinovac is another one. And then the Oxford group. So so it's fantastic. You know, We, we should be getting results on those August, September time with those three. Meanwhile, there's 16 and coming up in phase two. So you can see how it's rushing now. Now, of course, the safety is a concern if they go too fast, but they're very aware of that. Actually, Sanofi, just to mention, we've never mentioned them before. We we can't be giving drug companies precedence, but Sanofi make the flu vaccine uh, as well, by the way, put our previous topic, they're now ramping up their vaccine programme against COVID-19 hugely. So every drug company is really involved. So, again, your optimism is there. It, 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 we still don't know, of course, there's still a risk that the vaccines won't work for various reasons. Uh, but still, you've never seen the like of it in terms of the effort that's going into it. It's tremendous, really.
1: Um, a final question, uh, Luke. Any evidence that we have had this virus longer than we think? I mean, we thought late February, March, when it was arriving back from school trips to skiing and all the rest of it, or uh, tourists from Italy, whatever it might be. Uh, any evidence like they found in France? They found a patient in France, yeah, that seemingly had it way back when.
2: There's a chance, there's a chance of that, yeah, but we don't think it's very likely. It did begin in China and then it got out of China. Now, the question is, did it leave China, say, last summer, or somehow, and came to us, or came to, to Europe? The evidence will be against that. We still think the first case here was late February. There may have been one or two cases in mid-February, of course, slightly before February 29th, which is the actual official day that we had our first recorded case. But the chance that it was here, like, in November or, or, or December or before seems very unlikely.
1: All right. Uh, there's a final question just popped up about how come in Monaco they only have 99 cases and four deaths, France is their neighbour, having 28,000 plus. (laughs) Is there any explanation except wealth?
2: Great, great border there, but they stopped the cars going in, did they? I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? That yeah. See, this is a good question because you do see this variation in places. There's so many reasons that could be there for that. The demographics of those older people versus young. You see, did they wear face masks? Did they have social? All those policies impact on this. You see, and it could be one or two things were different there that that protected that population. You just don't know until these. And eventually, we'll get answers to these things with close analysis, of course.
0: That was Professor Luke O'Neill speaking to Pat Kenny on Thursday. Coming up next, report. Barry White hears about the house parties going on during lockdown. Welcome back to Weekly Digest here on News Talk. I'm Shane Beattie. Residents living close to UCC expressed their concern about house parties and other social gatherings taking place during lockdown. Reporter Barry White went to Cork for the hard shoulder to find out more.
3: Well, according to the residents of Magazine Road and College Road in Cork City, these house parties started at the beginning of lockdown around March and they've continued into the summer. There, were, there was parties at the weekend here just past and we're not talking about small galleries here either. It's claimed there are 50, 60 people going to one house at a time to have these parties and the parties are then lasting for days. They happen midweek. They happen at weekends. And um, one resident told me that they're twenty-four-hour parties. That they can last for days. Now this is a highly populated student area, so some people will think, you know, students are going to have house parties if it's an overpopulated student area. But there's also pensioners who have lived here for decades, and there's actually at least five people on Magazine Road who are over ninety. And Rosa Sullivan, who has lived in the area for sixty years, says her ninety nine-year-old father who lives with her has been unable to leave his home because of the ongoing student parties.
4: I'm just very annoyed and very upset that year on year that the behaviour, the breaking of the law and the unease in this area is escalating. But this year with the COVID-19, it has beaten all records.
3: When you say a party, Rose... How how big of a gallery are we talking about? Is this this four or five people in a house?
4: Uh, I wish it was. Um, A party here could be 60 people in a small terraced house. They're in the front, they're in the back. It involves the thumping music, screaming, roaring, and we're not talking about an hour or two. It could go on for 24 hours. That's what we've had here now for the last few weeks. And I think it's just an utter disgrace
3: hundreds of young people partying is this is this yes. just at weekends or is this every night
4: oh no it's just you know it's the place to come now Do you hear people shouting Covid party on the road when all this is going on so these young they're ones shouting, say, we're having COVID when they're having parties
3: these young people when they're partying yeah, or shouting Covid party on.
4: yeah so I maintain that they will look back for the rest of their lives on and the summer of 2020, in the middle of COVID-19 pandemic, as the best summer they ever had. How many of your listeners can say that?
3: Personally, Rose, it's having a bigger impact on you because you're telling me your elderly father but also have, lives and with you. And wh- wh- the, what impacts are having on him?
4: Well, well, you see, I suppose, at this age of his life, I think he's almost given up that anything can be done. You know, people. there are five people in their 90s living... A, around my house they all went back into lockdown again which i'm not exaggerating by hundreds passing with slabs of drink up on their shoulders you i was afraid of them you'd be a- afraid of them and that's no way to live your life
5: slabs of drinks no less now wait till i tell you i thought all the lectures had been cancelled you know we're into remote learning since march why aren't the students at home with Mammy and daddy
3: Yeah, well, you're right, lectures have been cancelled, and a lot of students did go home to where they're from originally, as they simply just could not afford to keep paying rent. But residents told me that some landlords continue to rent out rooms, and a lot of young people have started arriving in the area after they realised their traditional summer trips to the United States or to Canada were no longer an option due to the coronavirus. Well, it's also claimed that instead of going to places like Magalufa or Ibiza this summer, young people are now coming to the area, and this was being organised via social media. So people are arriving here just to rent out rooms. They're getting them for, you know, a decent price as well. So so the residents do also, they're also angry with the landlords in the area. Uh, but these residents even told me that when they tried to confront these young people who were partying, they were just met with abuse.
6: I don't take my kids for walks in this area. I wouldn't dream of it, because you'd have gangs of semi-naked people shouting, walking up and down the street, and that's just the girls. The boys would be there as well, also roaring with their drinks. Um, I don't want my kids to think that's normal behaviour, so we'll just get in the car and drive far away and walk so somewhere You're
3: else. saying you don't go for walks because there's semi-naked people on the street? Are we talking about Corpse. during the day here?
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. You would have, the men would have the shirts off because they're so drunk, they're just wandering around in the hot weather. The girls were practically nothing anyway. Um, I absolutely. I have two boys I mean I do not want my boys growing up like that or thinking that that's acceptable behaviour so I take them in the car and go elsewhere
3: So how long are these parties lasting? Is this just full weekends or is this every night?
6: Um, nobody's going to work the ones who party so every night is as good as any other night and the nights you would be worried about are the warm ones because that gets them all out into the back gardens and then they'll just party hunt They'll have their mobile phones and they just get, they bounce from one house to another and fill up that house.
0: You know, maybe they're on uh, unemployment benefit or on COVID benefit. Maybe their parents, a, a lot of parents have dropped their children here in big cars uh, coming in. Bye, bye now, Johnny, have a good time. And, you know, they, that's obviously, be, it's either been subsidised by the state or it's been subsidised by their families. And we are the people who are putting up with it. And it's absolutely unfair.
3: What do you want to see happen here? You've lived here for 35 years. You said this is the worst you've ever seen. But again, as I said, students have a right to live somewhere. Absolutely. You can't just kick them out. So what, 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 what do you want to see happen here? Well, we want to see, we want to see people behave responsibly.
0: Uh, we, we want to, We want them to, to respect their neighbours, not to be shouting and roaring at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning or indeed at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning.
6: The other night um, at 2 o'clock in the morning I was woken up and I stuck my head out of the window. There was eight people out screaming and roaring in a back garden and I asked them, I said, it's 2 o'clock, will you please go indoors? And one girl stepped forward and she roared at me. She said, I'm renting a room here, I can do the F what I want. And I said, it's 2 o'clock, get in. And she said to me, she said, what's your problem? Are you like, must be? you must be like in your 50s. What the F are you doing here? Would you ever move? She said, what else do you expect living on the magazine road? And that's not unusual. That's not unusual.
5: Right. And to think we're paying for this because we learned that 15,000 full-time students are getting the cosy 350 uh, uh, pandemic payment. So what are the authorities doing about this? The Gardaí, the City Council or UCC
3: themselves? Well, Gardaí say they are aware of an increase in student parties in the area. And they have contacted a number of landlords, which has led to a number of recent evictions. Guardian Cork City Council have also written to 40 landlords who own around 200 properties around the UCC area uh, to remind them of their responsibilities during the COVID-19 pandemic, While the presidents of University College Cork and the Cork Institute of Technology have written to students in the area to ask them just to respect the local community. And the former Lord Mayor of Cork, Catherine Clancy, she's lived in Magazine Road for 35 years. And she says residents finally feel they are getting somewhere after there was a recent number of evictions.
7: Last weekend, we had some breakthrough, I suppose, with the different uh, bodies that should be supporting us. So we had on Garda the HSE and Cork City Council issue a letter to uh, 40 landlords in the area um, covering about 200 houses to talk to them and tell them that, you know, to remind the people that they have in those houses that they're not being compliant with the COVID-19 uh, regulations and that they need to respect their community. There has been a little improvement in the area insofar as that we had uh, seen three houses successfully emptied during the week with some landlords coming on board. But until all landlords respect our community and come on board, this will continue and we'll have Groundhog Day again this Friday unless there's some changes.
3: What are the landlords saying? You Have you been in contact with any landlords? Can they do anything here?
7: The landlords can do everything. The landlords can do everything. The landlords can empty these houses if they want within within four or five hours. They can have within their um, letting, you know, if there's a cause of nuisance or a cause of upset or if the guards are called to the houses or if the guards are called particularly to the houses because of drug dealing and drugs being, uh, you know, presented in those houses, the landlord can. And if they didn't, they have a moral obligation to these houses. The landlords in this particular cases... Each house around this area, the minimum it would bring in is 40,000 a year. On average, probably 60,000 per year. They just don't care about this community. All they care about is in their, po- is their pocket.
5: But in fairness, Barry, this seems like a very one-sided report to me. You're just listening to the killjoys, the elderly residents. I mean, what about live and let live? This is, you know, a moment in these youngsters' lives, you know, before they settle down to work and have mortgages and responsibilities. Why not cut them a bit of slack?
3: Well, firstly, the residents say that not all students who live in the area are partying, and they didn't want to paint everybody with the same brush. Uh, And there are some great students living in Magazine Road and College Road, they told me, but the parties are certainly happening. I walked up around that area on Friday night when I was in Cork City. And it was very busy. A lot of young people out drinking in the street, going from house to house. Uh, i seen it with my own eyes. Now, I tried to speak to a few students who walked by me, but none would talk to me. They, they wouldn't go on tape. One student told me that the residents were exaggerating. But again, when I asked them to go on tape, um, they just walked away from me. But, but Ivan, I, mean, I did manage to get to speak to one 20-year-old student. Now, he didn't want to be named, but he told me he was actually recently evicted for having a house party on Magazine Road? Um, so we'd had people over at our home. Now,
8: the number of people that were meant to come was larger than we planned. We had maybe approximately 30 people in our home. Um, the guards came, uh, then they contacted the landlord the next day. He came down and um, g- gave us the boots straight away. Uh, we were apologetic about it.
3: But that was it then. There was no warning or nothing. We were kicked straight out. So you were in a house... There was a house party with up to 30 people and you were then evicted. Some people hearing that are going to say, well, that's fair enough.
8: Yeah, um, I understand. Like I said, I see the other side of it. Of course, the residents don't want people partying, especially during a pandemic. All All I'm saying is I just feel like that maybe there should have been at least a warning. We're still young. We don't have it all figured out. Um we didn't mean for that to happen.
3: The residents are saying that these parties have been worse than ever during the pandemic. Some of them with 40, 50, 60 people. Is it that bad? Um,
8: I can only speak for the party I've had myself. But yes, I guess there are some people who would have very little disregard for the residents. And I do see that side of it. It's not that we're just stubborn teenagers we do see that side, and we understand that that's not acceptable either, especially during a pandemic. but then there is just likes of us that we genuinely didn't mean for even thirty to be there. We just don't have anything else to do for the summer we've no jobs we've no we've no college, we've no structure to our day it's It's very difficult to keep uh keep yourself occupied and not be anxious you know for myself when I'm not occupied and I have a structure I get very bad anxiety, so that was just something for us to do for the summer to be able to just have at least some of our friends in our home and you know. Um, but yeah, no, I do agree. I do see their side of it too.
3: You say, look, you apologise to the residents for what happened, but you've been evicted now. You, you feel harshly treated? Um, well, this is, once again, personal to me because I don't have a great
8: relationship at home uh, and I am not really wanted to stay there. So I've kind of been bouncing around trying to stay in other places now. But it's things like these that the residents wouldn't see. It's these kind of things that some teenagers might have to go through. Um, I've been struggling to sleep in places now. You know, I I don't think they would ever take that into consideration, you know.
3: For the people who are continuing to party there, do you think they should look at you and your housemates as an example because they could end up being evicted as well?
8: Uh, definitely, um, because especially even before us, there was already tons getting evicted. So, yeah, you should definitely be prepared for that. Um, I don't think the residents in the Gardaí are going to take this much longer. Uh, if it doesn't tame down because they are right it is at an all time peak I've never seen that much partying going on around the areas of College Road Western Road etc um, so yeah you should be prepared for it really it's coming and I think the numbers are definitely increasing in regards to evictions
5: Ok there you have an evicted student uh, concluding their report from Barry White uh, who admitted that they were involved in and Bar- uh, tell me Barry at these parties would they observe social distancing uh, like I hope there's uh, no breach of the public health in relation to intimacy
3: well, we heard that student who spoke to me there, Ivan. 30 people in a small terraced house. I think social distancing would be quite impossible.
5: Alright, well we've had a huge response on the text line. Thank you, Barry. Ivan, it's exact, exactly the same here in Limerick. Beside you, as it is in Cork, there are house parties on a regular basis. The young people are partying because they're on 350 a week with nothing to do and nowhere to go. My son came home from his college ac- uh, accommodation but the landlord said he was getting no rent back because the house was there and paid up to the end of May and it was his choice not to be there. Whereas in Germany, they have anti-social, anti-noise police. If you live in an apartment block, you can't flush the toilet after midnight. And someone came up with a solution. Landlords should be charged €1,000 every time the guards are called to these parties. Then the landlords will be more attentive to what goes on in their houses.
0: That report by Barry White coming up next Jess Kelly explains how the contact tracing app for COVID-19 will work. Welcome back to Weekly Digest on News Talk. I'm Shane Beatty. Earlier this week News Talk's technology correspondent Jess Kelly joined Ivan Yates to talk through how the HSE's contact tracing app will work.
9: It looks as though um, it will be available in the coming days. Uh, I know we've been saying that now since March, but it does look like it's full steam ahead. Uh, Across the afternoon, I have uh, been talking to a number of different parties who are involved in this process, concerned about this process and intrigued by this process. Um, And it does seem like it's full steam ahead. I understand that um, there has been a submission in terms of the data protection impact statement. That's the, the boring document that has to go towards the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner to make sure that they are happy enough. What's interesting about this process though is that uh, the HSE didn't have to do this. This is something that they just did it to ensure that there's no red flags. Um, As I understand it uh, it it seems like all all is good uh, at this point in time. You may remember Ivan when we spoke about this a few months ago there was some concern as to whether or not we would be using an app that required our location information and some people were a bit unhappy and uneasy about that. As I understand it, uh, they are going ahead with a model that just uses Bluetooth. Uh, as I understand it, uh, you download the app, you don't have to input any information. So when you download this app onto your phone, you don't have to put in Ivan Yates, 72 years of age or whatever you are. Mm-hmm. You just uh, download the app.
5: feel like 92. You but look anyway, it. But anyway, carry on. Uh,
9: you look it. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that you need to do is you need to have Bluetooth on the phone. And there's one but part of this process I want to explain, because you mentioned there at the top, eight out of 10 people would be willing to download this app. But that's only the first part of the process. Not only do you have to consent to download the app, uh, then you have to ensure that your Bluetooth is on. So say you and I are in this studio now and we both have our phones on us. So I, I
5: wouldn't know whether my Bluetooth is on no, or not. No, I know. But that's but how does I, that work?
9: that's why I'd have to be in the studio with you but you, <laughs> you swipe down from the top you have your to carry
5: home. my phone around with me right? <laughs> anyway
9: so You go no,
5: on to settings go on
9: You just swipe you have an iPhone so if you swipe down from the top you should see the yeah an iPhone so swipe down and you should see the Bluetooth icon I'll do it during the ads okay. because I'm mid-sentence uh, so you ensure that your Bluetooth is on the phone and um, then if you and I are in the studio we both have our phones on us and I have tested positive for COVID-19 and I'm in here talking to you for 15 minutes. I then, once I get my diagnosis, get on to the contact tracing team.
5: can I just stop you right there? If you are diagnosed, you have to go into isolation.
9: Yes, but if I am, say if if this happens now and I'm diagnosed later on this evening, for example. Oh, I
5: see. It'll trace back.
9: It'll trace back. So I'm going to explain oh. this process because so you weren't it won't paying ha-
5: attention. Sorry, no, it won't happen in real You're time. you still not paying attention. No, no, no I am. No, that was The point is this. Say you had been a confirmed case three weeks ago. Will my phone start gyrating no,
9: if you appear the point, in the presence? No, and this is the point that I need to make, to, to put across there because this is not just as easy as having the app on your phone. You need to do more. So you download the app. I, this evening, get told I have COVID-19. I get in touch with the contact tracing team and I say I was with Ivan Yates today and I can either do that and they will give you a call if I give them your number. But if I don't know you, for example, the contact tracing team will say, do you have the app? I say yes. And they say, do you consent to running the app? And what that means will be a feature within the app that will then release uh, what is called diagnosis keys. And that will then alert anyone's phone that I was in contact with that day. So that's when your phone will get buzzing, but only if I, the person who has the app on my phone, Uh, makes that happen.
5: Well now, can I ask you this then? Go on. So I was on the dart this morning and say there was people in front of me or behind me. Mm. Now say one of those are subsequently diagnosed even though I now don't know who they are yep. from, Adam, will my phone uh, tell me that I was in the presence of someone who was positive?
9: If they have the app on their phone, if they have the Bluetooth switched on, and if they consent during the contact tracing process to carry out that process of running the diagnostic keys, so this is not just a straightforward process of no, I no, have no, an app. But in you the have contact
5: an app. tracing, as I understand it is. So Jess, you're a confirmed case, and you say here are the ten people yep. I met. I met my mother. I met my partner. I met Ivan Yates in in whatever in news talk and so on. And there, my but on the dart, yeah. the person didn't know it was me. That Well, they might know well, sure, me, well, of course. But now, are, but the yeah. point is this, a other sitting beside you, how do you notify it? Yeah. Will the technology trace back? The that technology
9: it? will. That's, that, in, in essence, is in a dreamland if everyone consented to having this on their phone and had it running, that's exactly how it would work. The fear factor is that not everybody will download it. Not everyone will keep their Bluetooth on because if you don't have your Bluetooth on when you're on the dart, for example mm-hmm. my phone won't pick up your phone to and let would you would know. I normally
5: have my Bluetooth on the whole time? You wouldn't I'd only have it on in the car yeah. sometimes
9: Yeah um, But then if
5: I don't want Deirdre to hear when I'm speaking to and she's in the front and I'm in the back I'd switch off the Bluetooth and I'd put it on my my handset Do you I'd know say what I mean? you
9: would yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, a lot of people would have their Bluetooth on for headphones, for other accessories. The key thing here, and engineers from Apple and Google have said that this is a sort of a low frequency Bluetooth that won't be too demanding on your battery life. It will just be running in the background. But the key message here is that, uh, firstly, as I said, we need people to download the app. We need people to have their Bluetooth on and then you need to consent to a new step, which is running the diagnosis keys that then releases that information Information. all the information is anonymized however so it won't send me Jess Kelly a notification saying Ivan Yates was near your phone and you know you should be concerned which is fair enough but that's not uh, how it works it'll be completely anonymized and the idea is that it will help with the contact tracing it'll also work alongside the, the manual contract tracing play, uh, process that's not going anywhere
5: it's gonna cost me any money
9: no, Ivan, it won't cost you But you, you any know the money. way
5: you're using up your minutes and your gigabits and your data and all that? Like, by, if I have it switched on, is it using up costs on me? That, uh, I know that this is like the when ab- I talk abs- horse racing. It just shouldn't happen.
9: <laughs> no, it won't cost you any money. No, oh. it'll run in the background. Um, it's using your Bluetooth. And the key thing, as I said, is if people download it. If people don't download yeah. it, then it's uh, not going to be well, impactful. Well, our
5: reporter, Andrew Louth asked people on the street. You see, one of the problems I have with this mm. is that this survey was done amongst UL, University of Limerick, and NUIG, University of Galway. And I found 82% to be happy. But sure, it's not it's not the youngsters who are tech savvy you want to be asking. It's the old bats like myself. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That don't know all this stuff. And I'd see your figure go down to 10%. Not because they don't want privacy or anything like that. It's just they don't know how to do it. But
9: you've just explained there yourself about it's, it's digital literacy. It's the point that I keep on harping on about. It's downloading the app to your phone, ensuring your Bluetooth is on and then ensuring that you know how to run the diagnosis.
5: Difficulty with emails. I've just caught up with texting, not to speak of WhatsApp. Now, our reporter Andrew Louth was out and about, and he asked people, would they be happy to download the app?
6: I think that it's more essential that we can have every opportunity available to us that can be available to us uh, to trace people in the event of uh, further contagion, especially in the community.
2: And you're so you're not worried about any privacy at
0: all
6: no I'm not concerned at the moment No, I think that's another day's issue
0: I'd be quite willing to download it and uh, use it because uh, I think it would increase the safety of everybody I'd have no problem with privacy issues now uh, I just I would think really uh, uh, the health of the nation the health of everyone would trump all that um,
9: honestly I don't think I'd get it even if it was mandatory you
2: don't think you'd get it? no why not
9: because well, I don't want to be chased. like if someone has the Has COVID, they should be just staying at home anyway.
2: For me personally, I'm not worried, but I can understand some people might be. If they've had some negative experience maybe online, that would make you once, once bitten, twice shy, but I haven't had anything negative experience. So just for me personally, I don't have a problem. But maybe they can build in some protection into it. Can they i don't know anything that would help in
6: any way stem the spread of the virus certainly i think people should grasp with both hands and uh, take on board any concerns on privacy issues personally no but i can see a lot of people certainly w- would have that but um what's more important to your privacy or your health that's the way i'd All
5: all right general general welcome and an openness towards it now i i love uh, there's two texts saying the same thing here and you'll have to explain now uh, But it's on our phones under health already without permission, double question mark. And then this texter, Carol, asks, on the Android phone, open settings, select Google services. If your phone has updated later, there is a COVID tracker there already.
9: Yeah, this is something that um, is part of the process. You may, as we mentioned at the top, you may remember initially there was talk of uh, an organisation building an app completely from scratch, not using any of the Google or the Apple technologies. It is correct. I have uh, an Android phone in my hand. I went to settings and I searched for COVID in my settings and up pops what's called COVID-19 exposure notifications. And the idea is that this, when you download the HSE contact tracking app, will enable the technology to work and will enable those notifications to come to you. It is switched off at the moment. If your Bluetooth is off, it is off. You do not have to enable it. Every single part of this process, and this is something that I can say, is that every single part of this process requires user consent this is not going to be tracking you unless you have the uh, HSC app downloaded and unless you have enabled your Bluetooth and engaged with it it will not be uh, tracking it there is a full breakdown of information here um, and it, it does say here now you know COVID-19 exposure notifications don't use your device location it doesn't use any of your other information it is purely there to interact with the government uh, application when it comes when it becomes available Okay
5: finally uh, this has been stop-start, maybe, maybe not, and deferred, and so on, and technical problems. Uh, is there anywhere in the country? Because Boris got up in the, because uh, he's had the same problem. The NHS mm-hmm. promised this, and it hasn't happened. And he's saying there's nowhere in the world as an effective uh, uh, tracing app. Is there? Is that the case? Is this working anywhere?
9: We spoke in the middle of March about how successful the contact tracing app has been in, in parts South like, Korea. In South Korea, in places like Singapore, like in in different parts of the world, not only is it available, but it is. Is working quite no, well. No, Jess,
5: that's not fair. That's a low blow
0: because, I mean, I can't remember what happened yesterday. Jess Kelly speaking to Ivan on Wednesday afternoon. And that's all we have time for this week on the Weekly Digest. As always, we'll continue to bring you updates as they happen on News Talk, but be sure to subscribe to this podcast on the Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcasts from. From me, Shane Beatty, bye bye, take care, and have a great week.